0: CHAPTER 7 SHOT IN THE DARK Sally eagerly greeted me when I entered the bar the next afternoon. Like I said before, I was at the miner's shaft so often that I was beginning to think I was becoming a bar fly. As soon as that thought occurred, I immediately had to remind myself of the real reason for my frequent visits, retribution for the murder of my best friend. If there was some way that I could get in tight with Hulse maybe I could find out what had happened and see a way to exact revenge. What did Sally think? Tell me more about Hulse and the guys he hangs with, I asked. I went to high school with him. He was a real troublemaker but was always bailed out by his uncle. His brother graduated a few years before him and he was the same kind of guy a troublemaker and a bully. When his brother was in school, he and some of his boys constantly beat up on a couple of black kids in the class. In those days, there were no rules against bullying, as a matter of fact, it was kind of in fashion. Anyway, I guess one of the kids that was being bullied never forgot it. When the class had its five year class reunion, Hulse's brother and his friends started the same old shit, like he had done in high school with the kid. The way I heard it, the kid tried to walk away and leave the reunion. They all followed him out into the parking lot. He got into his car and when he tried to pull out, they all started threatening him and kicking in the doors. The kid was probably scared to death. He pulled a gun out of the glove compartment and shot Hulse's brother dead right there in the parking lot. So, what happened to the kid, I asked. Well, of course he was arrested and jailed and beat up by the cops from what I heard. Then, he went to trial. Some big city lawyer evidently heard about it and took his case for free. The trial went on for over three weeks and Hulse and his boy sat in every session for the whole time even though it was way over in Evanston. That's about an hour and a half from here. There were even some threatening notes sent to the lawyer. Everybody kinda knew who sent them but it could never be proven. In the end, the verdict was self-defense. That pissed them all off, big time, and again, this is only hearsay, they all went and joined the defenders of our nation. Defenders of our nation? I replied. Yeah, the Don. They've been around here forever, they're like the KKK or the Aryan nation or so I've heard. They've all got the lightning bolt tats and hulse and all those have them now too. You tell Kenem a mile away just by the strut especially when they're in a group which they most always are. What do you think my chances are of getting in with these guys and finding out what really happened I asked. My question was met with a look of shock and surprise. I think you're out of your goddamn mind. You don't look or even act close to what you need to be to get in tight with them. If you plan on trying to buddy up with Hulse and his crew you're going to have to do some fabulous acting. I think you'll have to be an Academy Award winner to get along with these guys. Just listening to their shit is going to freak you out right from the get-go and then they'll see right through you. What happens after that is anybody's guess but I'm sure it won't be good, she concluded. The conversation lulled for a moment. I could try I answered. Well, if you try and fail halfway through it's gonna cost you big. Real big like maybe dead big, she warned. I certainly took her warning seriously. She had known these people and what they were capable of since her childhood. She had seen or at least greatly suspected what they had done to Richie. I surely couldn't take her words lightly but again, I felt compelled to do something and this was the only thing I could think of. I told myself, over and over of the insanity and the possible consequences if my plan failed but I still couldn't be dissuaded. So, after much agonizing, I spoke with Sally again about how I should enact my dangerous scheme. I think the first thing you have to do is maybe get a couple of tats she suggested. The thought alarmed me. I had never even had the slightest inclination to get a tattoo much less the kind that would be required to make me look acceptable to these people. After a little thought I knew she was probably right, and it was something I had do if I was to have any chance of success with my plan. She made several suggestions as to what type might be best and each one was less appealing than the next. When I went back to the motel that evening, I looked on the internet for some of the tats Sally had mentioned. I finally decided on a skull with a snake slithering out of one of the eye sockets. It looked pretty mean, just what I wanted. It could be done at Terry's terrifying tattoos in a nearby town. I would get it done on my upper forearm wear when wearing a long-sleeved shirt. I could choose when and to whom to expose it. I would get it done in black ink. I knew that black could more readily be removed by a laser. The colors are much more difficult to remove and often can't be completely erased. I was looking to the future and hoping that I would have a future after this upcoming adventure. So, there it was, settled in my own mind. I would go to Terry's the next morning and get what I hoped would be a badge helping me on the road to gaining Hulse's confidence. The process wasn't a lot of fun but after it was done, I had to admit it looked kind of cool. Maybe I had that feeling because it was my unconscious trying to convince me that I had done the right thing. I walked out of Terry's with a large, white gauze covering the using body art and $300 lighter. In any event, it was done and now it was the time to take the next step. Another talk with Sally and we decided that she would call me when Hulse next came to the bar. I would begin a conversation about hunting, which of course, I knew little about. That might get me an introduction to Hull since he and most of the others in the town were rabbit hunters. My story would be that I left the city not only for hunting but primarily because of my disgust for the overflowing, non-white population. This then, I thought would provide a segue into a relationship with him and his friends. Now all I had to do was some home study on hunting and buy a shotgun. The study part wasn't hard, I had the internet. The gun part was harder, I was beginning to run out of money. Again, I searched the internet to see what a 12-gauge might cost. Several were priced in the four dollars 500 dollars range. I could afford that but barely. Armed with that information, no pun intended, I drove to Barry's gun shop in the neighboring town and there I bought it. A used double barrel, 12-gauge for $350. I got a deal and it had a well-worn stock, even better to present myself as an experienced hunter. While I was there, Barry convinced me that if I was to take up hunting, I should also have camouflage, boots, a couple of boxes of shells and of course needed a license. Another 400 down the drain. I left Barry's with the complete costume and all the equipment. Now all that was left to do was to brush up on hunting lingo, rehearse my anticipated meeting with Hulse and wait for Sally's call. As I walked towards the car, carrying my gear, it occurred to me. How stupid I am. I've never even fired a shotgun. When I was a kid we used to go to the dump on the outskirts of town and shoot rats but that was a long time ago and it was a 22. This could be a serious problem, I'm used to myself. Suppose I was out hunting with these guys and I didn't know how to fire the gun? I'd read several times about inexperienced shotgun users actually breaking their shoulders. I sure didn't want one of them to be me. Beside the pain, it would certainly blow a hole in my hunting persona. I chuckled half heartedly, to myself at another, unintended pun. It wasn't long before I got the call from Sally, not telling me Hulse was at the miner's shaft but instead to ask where I'd been. I hadn't been to the bar in two days and she was concerned. I was busy getting my tat and my hunting get up. I immediately quelled her fears with an explanation of the events of the past couple of days. With all that being said, her excitement calmed, and the conversation turned to refining the details of my plan. I soon confessed to her about my lack of hunting experience and how I feared that it might easily reveal me as a fraud. My Uncle John has been a hunter all his life. I'm sure if you spend a few hours with him he'll be able to make you look like Frank Buck. Who the hell is that? I asked. He's an old-time, big-game hunter that my uncle used to mention all the time she answered. You know Sally, I've got another problem I started. I'm getting low on cash and, she interrupted me in mid-sentence. No surprise, after all the stuff you bought. Remember I told you about Freddy, the night man, the guy I filled in for, the night Richie was here? It seems he's not doing too good. He's always had a problem with the booze, and I guess working here didn't help any. Anyway, Pete had to fire him the other day. He was calling in sick every other night and most of the time Pete or me wound up doing the shift. This has been going on for a few months and Pete finally got tired of it she paused. Did you ever tend bar? Yeah, in college. I worked part-time in a shot and beer place. I never made any fancy drinks. No margaritas, no Long Island iced teas or any of that stuff I replied. The fanciest drink I ever make here is Jack and Coke she answered. Maybe I can get you the job. I'll talk to Pete tomorrow. I'm sure he'll hire you if I ask him. That would be great, I replied and what about your rent at the motel you're at? It's getting harder but with a job, I guess I can keep making it I answered. You don't have to, if you want, you could come over and stay at my place. There's just me and my mom. She rambles a lot but once you get used to her, she's okay. I don't know about that, I feel like kind of a sponger. Know what I mean? I replied. I didn't say you're staying for free, did I? You have to kick in a little, Not nearly as much as that motel is costing you and you'll probably do some stuff around the place now and then too she said. There was a silence. I'll give you directions to where I live and if you show up one day that will be that. Just be sure you come when I'm home. Call me first. If you come when just mom is there, she won't answer the door. She might even call the cops so be sure I'm there first. Okay, thanks Sally I'll give it some thought I said. I really didn't have to give it too much thought, just looking at my empty wallet made the decision for me. I would take the job and move to Sally's. The house was an old, worn farmhouse at the end of a long, rutted road, bordered by fallow fields on both sides. It had a barn in the back which was well on its way to collapse. A tar paper-covered, chicken coop housed several hens and a spry rooster who crowed incessantly throughout each and every day. Luckily, The coop was located on the opposite side of the barn which shielded the house from his endless cacophony. The house itself consisted of eight, large, sparsely decorated rooms. In spite of its rustic appearance it possessed an old-style charm that couldn't be ignored. Somehow, its faded wallpaper and old wooden floors gave it an air of the hominess from a bygone era. Sally assigned me to a bedroom on the north side of the house. It had a three-drawer, maple dresser, An unmatched nightstand and a telephone booth sized closet. In the far corner of the room stood a radiator with a constantly hissing vent valve. The floor was covered with old linoleum, topped with a small throw rug at the edge of the bed. It wasn't the Ritz, but I certainly wasn't about to complain. Sally's mother was a small, frail, gray haired woman, appearing to be in her late 70s. She wore what my mother used to call a house dress and slippers with a bunion hole cut out of each. Her speech, as Sally had warned me, was rambling at times but not unintelligible. She frequently spoke about the past and people that she seemed to think I should know. I remembered my great aunt Emma used to have those same kinds of conversations when she was on the verge of Alzheimer's. I used to just go with the flow, pretending to recognize every one of whom she spoke and interjecting a courteous yes or I see every now and then into the conversation. I did the same with Sally's mother. Although she had frequent lapses from the present, she had a pleasant disposition and rarely wore a frown. I had no problem humoring the old lady and got along with her quite well. Sally, on the other hand, found it difficult to accept her mother's incoherency. I guess it was hard for her to admit her mother was failing so severely. She frequently corrected the old lady in mid-sentence and her mother would just continue on undeterred. Sally would then quietly chastise herself for her intolerance and sit silently and during the remainder of her mother's ramble. The day after I settled in at Sally's, I met Uncle John for some shooting lessons. Sally told me Uncle John was a crack shot and a good teacher. When we got to John's house, I could see why he was so good. He had a skeet range in the field behind his house. It was complete with an automatic launching device for the traps or clay pigeons as they are sometimes called. Uncle John called to his wife as we walked to his backyard. She dutifully emerged from the back door and loaded the first trap into the mechanism. Let me show you how it's done and then you can give it a try. He picked up the 12 gauge, which was leaning against the back wall of the house, and walked over to a well worn patch of dirt at the edge of the field. He slowly raised the gun towards the sky and yelled, Pull. A skeet immediately soared, and the barrel of his gun moved with a slow, fluid motion. Following the target's trajectory with graceful ease. Then, a loud crack and the pigeon shattered in midair. Within a second, John's wife sent the next target skyward and again his shot met its mark. Then another and still others followed. Uncle John continued to pump the gun relentlessly, making every shell hit its target until at last the gun was emptied. That's how it's done! he exclaimed with a smile you made it look pretty simple but somehow I don't think it is I replied. It ain't. Takes lots of practice to make yourself that good. I know I done lots of practicin. But I think if we spend a couple of day at it I can make you passable or at least so nobody would know that you never used a shotgun before he answered. And so, my shooting lessons with Uncle John began. After two days of shoulder aching and ringing ears, Uncle John's prediction had come true. Annie Oakley I wasn't but I acquired enough skill so as not to appear as a complete novice. I actually found myself capable of hitting the skeet about 1 out of 3. Not bad for walk-on after only 2 days. Uncle John was well satisfied with my progress and even suggested that I might have some natural ability. When I left his house that last day, I felt confident that with some good acting and a little hunting lingo thrown in, I could pass myself off as an experienced hunter.